This is Matt Burgess from the New Zealand Initiative. I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Eric Crampton. Eric, hello. Good afternoon. We're recording on the 8th of July, the day after the Minister for Climate Change uh, announced that climate change is mostly about inequality. Thankfully, there... Uh, we have an emissions trading scheme that's just getting on with the job of actually cutting emissions. Uh, this morning, the ETS reached an all-time record price of $46 a tonne. That's double uh, what it was just two years ago. So things are moving north quickly. Eric, that 46 bucks is going to affect pretty much everything in the economy, isn't it? Give us an elevated pitch on how the ETS works. Sure. Well, it's affecting everything other than agriculture right now because agriculture isn't in. But just as a quick refresher for those who haven't been following the podcasts, the cap-and-trade scheme, the emissions trading system, is now an actual cap-and-trade scheme. There is a cap on net emissions within the system. The government only allows there to be so much net emissions. That's how many carbon credits they sell into the system every year. Any other emission credits that come into the system have to be from somebody doing something like growing a tree or surrendering an old, older obligation from previously, but the government's already considered those when setting the cap, so they're already with, within the cap, and that all makes sense. The effect of this, then, is that whenever you buy a litre of petrol, you don't really have to feel bad about the climate change implications because every litre you purchase means that the petrol company has bought 2.45 kilograms of emission rights on your behalf, bidding them away from somebody else who might have used them to emit somewhere else in the system, and we don't know where that might be, but we know that it's come down because the cap is binding. If the cap were not binding, we would not be seeing $46 per ton emission prices in the system. Nobody would be paying, willing to pay $46. They probably wouldn't be willing to pay $30 if the cap were not binding. The high prices and the rising prices tell us that the cap is reducing emissions compared to what we would be having if we didn't have the ETS. Now, it is starting to run up kind of close to one of the other caps in the system, though. Yeah, so the $46 is, is significant because at $50, there's a price cap, uh, and that's when things get interesting. First of all, this price cap, this mechanism was introduced last year. Eric, can you walk us through how it works? Sure. I just love this story because I remember I was writing a column on the ETS last year, and, well, it might have been, yeah, it would have been last year when we were doing this. Um, I just, wow, what... They need to be getting in the binding cap and all this. Well, they finally got in the binding cap. And when you're reading through the documents, they'd also put in a price cap. So we've got a quantity cap on net emissions. There's also a price cap. If the ETS price hits $50 and that price cap will be increasing at 2% a year every year thereafter, if prices hit the price cap, the government must release one more unit into the system if somebody wants to buy it at that price cap. So it'll keep releasing units at $50 per ton. Now, the really beautiful part about this is that those units must be what they call backed. They're backed units. And backing means that somewhere else, there has been a ton of reductions that backs that unit. So it maintains a the same net cap on total emissions because every new unit that the government sells into the system has to be offset by some other emission reduction that the government has been able to secure somewhere else. And that means every, un unlike under the old rule, uh, where the government would sell emissions units at the cap, that's how they maintain the cap. You just sell yep. as many units as you need to under the old system. Under the new system, um, well, under the old system, 
selling those units effectively raises the quantity cap, more emissions overall. Under the new system, uh, selling those units doesn't have any effect on overall emissions because of that backing mechanism. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So the prior scheme at the fixed price offer, it was basically a carbon tax set at a fairly low level. So there wasn't a quantity cap. You might characterize the prior regime as having been a carbon tax plus a bit of a subsidy regime around tree planting or potential sequestration. Now we have a proper emissions trading system with a cap on net emissions and the price cap still maintains that cap on net emissions. Which is, uh, you know, it's almost, um, what's, the, what's the word, just a perfect storm of, of goodness where you have the economic security of a price cap. You can say to businesses, you're not going to pay more than $50, plan accordingly. Uh, but on the other hand, um, we're still able to have that price cap without raising our overall emissions. Our, our commitment to lower emissions remains credible even with that price cap. True, but we do have another problem yet. The government has to find a way of reducing emissions at no more than, well, ideally not more than it's paying for the, uh, that, that it's getting for the credits when it sells them at auction at $50 a ton, right? Yeah, so let's get into that, right? So the question is, where are the backed units coming from? And there are two obvious possible sources. One is the European ETS, and another, I would say, is the UK ETS, which launched uh, earlier this year. Yep. The price per tonne for those, uh, respectively, is 92 New Zealand dollars and 89 <laughs> New Zealand dollars, which is quite a long way from $50. So how could this play out? Well, so that's a problem. Uh, last year, we'd identified this problem. We had included it in our briefing to the incoming government. We'd said on the ETS that the price cap should be changed so it doesn't have a nominal anchor but instead anchors in the trading price in Europe. Wait, now, let's just walk through yeah, what's, I'll, what's I'll, the direct risk Absolutely. Yep. So the direct risk right now as it is structured, if the government cannot come up with some other way of reducing net emissions, like you can imagine things that they might come up with, maybe they'll decide to plant a pile more trees on crown land and use that to back a released NZU at the $50 a ton level. That that raises all kinds of weirdness, right? Given given forestry is already in the ETS. It does raise those kinds of issues, but so long as they're not getting a credit for themselves at the same time as they're releasing it as a backed unit, then you could see it kind of working. That, That tree planting ends up backing the new credit. So instead of taking the credit for themselves, they're just selling it at $50. You could imagine that kind of a regime. But it'll depend, too, on how quickly the government has to be able to back the units. If, And that doesn't seem specified in the legislation, right? So yeah. if the view of the government is that it can only release the unit if it's simultaneously getting rid of a ton of emissions somewhere else, the quickest and most obvious way of doing that is buying a credit in Europe. Europe has a credit, credible system. You could do the same thing in the UK take the credit for one ton's worth of emissions from either of those systems, run it through a shredder so that nobody can redeem that unit in either of those systems. So there's been a one ton net reduction in those other systems, release a unit here, and the climate doesn't really care whether there's been a ton that's been emitted in one place or another. They just care about the net emissions globally, right? So that all works if you have access to those markets, and in theory you could do it, I'm not sure whether the government's properly investigated the actual mechanics of doing it, but that seemed to be how the system was designed because when they set the $50 price cap, I went and had a look, oh, this really should just be set in the European price. And at the time, the European price in their carbon market was $50 New Zealand. 
right? So in euros, you get the price of something like 36 bucks. You run the exchange rate and, oh, well, okay, okay, basically they're just setting the European price as being our price cap. That sounds great, but what happens if the price changes a lot? And that gets into what we worried about in our uh, submission, our briefing to the incoming government, because if you wind up in a spot where the government is having to pay 100 bucks to buy a unit in Europe and then run it through a shredder and then sell it for 50 bucks here, that that's like the opposite of what we should be doing. That, does, that doesn't really help. It costs a lot of money. The government will see that as a substantial fiscal risk. And some of that kind of worry can motivate some really bad regulation, right? Because you can imagine spots where the government would really prefer that private industry or private car owners or somebody else pay like $900 a ton to abate their own emissions so that the government doesn't wind up having to pay 100 tons in Europe while only getting 50 bucks in selling that unit on the New Zealand market. But there's another problem that'll come of it too, right? Right now, if you look at the futures prices, they're north of 50 for some of these, I think it's 2024 that it got up to 54, right? So traders are betting that the $50 price cap, is, well, uh, no, because it goes up by 2% a year. So it's just kind of holding there. The cap is not, it, it's close to not credible that people might start making bets that the government is going to move the cap. And there have already been calls for shifting it to $70 to, to avoid hitting it. But that's just clunky and messy, right? You can't just keep increasing the cap whenever you risk hitting it because then it's not re- it's not helping anybody. It's not providing certainty. It's not achieving what a price cap is meant to achieve within that kind of system. It, it's just messy. The risk is that if everybody knows the cap's going to be raised, uh, there's a run on the bank, as it were, right? Yeah. And it becomes self-fulfilling. Yes. Yeah. So what's the, what are the options for the government at this point? Well, what I would love to see would be something from the Climate Commission saying which other countries' emissions trading schemes they would view as being similarly reliable that you that you know that if you take a ton of emissions from them and you run that credit through the shredder, that that achieves a net one-ton reduction in global emissions. I would expect that they would say that about the European system. They would probably say that about the UK system as well. Uh, you'll know more about the UK system than I do, but there are like 35 different ETSs around the world currently getting a determination on which ones of those could potentially provide the units that would back a released unit at the price cap. That seems something that needs to get sorted out in a really big hurry in it case we like hit the cap. We had 30 recommendations, I think, in the Commission's uh, final report. You would think, given the financial exposure of an ETS with the price cap that needs units to be backed and with European prices at $100, that it might have had room in one of those recommendations to say, government, you need to look seriously at checks and balances and systems that will give you the ability to look at other um, ETSs besides Europe. Yeah, that wasn't. Well, they didn't. Yeah, that wasn't what the Climate Change Commission report was all about. It was uh, more of a religious tract instead of something a little bit more practical. I think you're being generous. Yeah, uh, I'm known for my generosity. But if you get the, you start with that determination, then you could set a new kind of a price cap, which I as a as a starter for ten. Set it as the price of a weighted bundle of prices in those systems. So Europe is the great big one with billions of units trading in it. There are much smaller ones as well. If you set a price cap that's equivalent to the weighted average of prices across all of those, then New Zealand is committing to following the rest of the world in terms of the price that we're willing to pay per unit. And if you back the units at the price cap with the with units from the system that has the lowest price, 
where you still view that system as being credible, you start getting into kind of magic territory, right? So, and I'll explain what I mean by that. You've got a lot of options of how you deal with this. So suppose that the New Zealand price, it's this, suppose you put in this kind of a weighted bundle as being your price cap. And suppose that the price in Europe is a hundred bucks. Uh, the price in Europe in the UK is what, 90 you said? Um, 89. 89. Okay. I was remembering pretty close. Um, I don't know the prices through these other systems, but suppose you came to a, a weighted bundle price that was like $70, right? So you've got a South Korean system. You've got a system in part of California. There's a little bit in British Columbia. There's lots of different systems. Suppose that it came out with a weighted price average of 70 and maybe the cheapest one was $60. Let's say, um, well, weighted wouldn't get you to 70 with Europe at hundred on that. So, okay. Say that it gets to 80. If you get to an $80 price cap here, because that's the price of the weighted bundle, and the cheapest units that you can get are 60 well, the government could take $80 from somebody here at the price cap, go and buy a unit for $60, and then it's got $20 left. Now, what do you do with that $20? You've got some options. You could buy a little bit more of a credit in that cheap system to abate more than a ton for every ton that's reduced in the New Zealand system, right? So you could back the unit with more than one ton from abroad to reduce global net emissions even faster than we otherwise would have. That's one option. The other option is to take that 20 bucks, throw it into the pot that we've talked about before for the carbon dividend. So mm. I'll re rehearse that very briefly in case folks haven't been paying, keeping up with the other podcasts on this. We've argued that the government should take all of the money that it gets at the ETS auction, put it into a pot, split the pot 5 million ways, and give everybody a check, right? So send everybody a lump of money at the start of the year based on how much they expect to earn from the ETS over the year and tell people to use that to fund their own transition in the way that makes most sense for them. An EV subsidy doesn't make sense for a lot of people. They might prefer to have, instead of an EV subsidy, a pot of money that they can put towards either an EV or home insulation or whatever else makes sense in their own circumstances, an e-bike, whatever. It's not for us to judge that. They know their circumstances better than we do. Government should trust them to make the decisions that are right for them. And it helps them to facilitate their own transition while also ensuring that the government doesn't get a lot of flack for rising ETS prices, because that would be a strongly progressive transfer. Rich people spend more on everything, carbons in everything. Most households are going to get more back as a carbon dividend than they're paying in carbon taxes. That locks in support for the emissions trading scheme and turns higher ETS prices from something that the government is scared of as politically dangerous into something that, well, most voters actually like because they're getting more money at the start of the year. Yeah, it's a complete answer to the question, what about rising electricity prices? What about petrol prices? Yeah and so on. Yeah, you put all that into... The check's bigger than those things for most people. Exactly. Is your answer. And you could, if you wanted to, at the price cap, if you're buying units and systems that are cheaper than New Zealand's, put the extra money into the carbon dividend. Or you could decide, well, we'll take a bob each way. If we've got 20 bucks, we're going to buy $10 worth of more credits and we're going to put 10 bucks into the ETS carbon dividend fund. Right. You could split it however you liked, depending on whether the government wanted to do more to address equity issues with higher prices or whether they wanted to achieve even more bang for the buck in reducing emissions through the emissions trading scheme. But we're, we're hearing none of this, right? The, these are the things that the Climate Commission should have been working through, and it's just been silent on it. 
there's a coherent long-term end game here, which is that every country is participating in a global trading system. There's a set of internationally agreed standards and checks and balances that make sure the system is robust and rigorous and emissions really are coming down. You have a single global carbon price, which largely takes care of leakage. It means we can we can have $100 a tonne, $200 a tonne without industries leaving New Zealand to go somewhere else because the price is the same everywhere. Yep. Um, actually, to be fair, James Shaw has talked about that as the end game. I've heard him talk about it. But you, to get to that point, you've got to make a start um, by looking at the systems you need um, to get there and, and getting busy on those alongside everything else. Sure. And international negotiations on these kinds of things have been very slow going. There are plenty of climate activists who very much want these systems to be interlinked for all of the very good reasons for having that. But it's been really hard to secure those agreements. Now, what seems a lot simpler would be for the New Zealand government to set up a little company in Europe. That company's sole purpose is to buy credits in the European emissions trading system and then run them through a virtual shredder so that they can't ever be used. That seems pretty easy. It seems a lot easier than securing international agreement over all of the different ways that you could trade across systems when they're not entirely commensurable all the time. This is would just mean our going in, buying some credits, which like any Kiwi could already do, right? You can go to Europe, buy some emissions credits. You could do it without going to Europe, right? You can trade on these markets already. I can imagine when a country does it, when a government does it, uh, in some sense it's circumventing the diplomatic system, the negotiations, you're sort of going in the back door. I can see why that would be seen as quite hostile. I can also imagine Europe, Europe retaliating by setting up a company here and all of a sudden um, we're seeing, uh, you know, our prices here being bid up and that creates pressure of, of its own. So, but... I think the, the positive aspect of it is it's a start down towards that track of initially bilateral but ultimately multilateral trade in carbon units. Well, that's, um, in that principle, it should work. In practice, you, you can imagine ways that the European governments might screw this up because European governments like to screw things up, and especially the European Union. But if you think about it a little bit harder, it's money coming into Europe from New Zealand that they didn't ask anybody for, and it's like free money for them, and somebody who's able to abate emissions is getting Kiwi money to do it, and it's making both them better off and Kiwis better off because we're not having to do even more expensive things here that are less effective. It seems the kind of thing that should be win-win, but yes, governments don't always recognize win-win. But it's just gains from trade. Ultimately, Absolutely. you're just unlocking access to specialization. Yeah. More more tons per dollar, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the other advantage of getting an initial determination of a set of countries whose ETSs would be viewed as comparable and robust so that if things don't work out with Europe, well, we've got four other options, right? In terms of next steps, I think uh, the immediate question is whether the price cap will be rising from 50 up to $70 before uh, the next auction, which is on the 1st of September. So we'll be looking forward to an announcement from the government on that. Uh, if we don't get one, that would certainly be interesting given the consequences. Eric, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.